0: Good morning. morning. Happy Easter. Thank you, you, Rick. Appreciate that. Um, If you didn't grab one of these as you were coming in, um, I'm going to read from this in just a second. So you might want to raise your hand and somebody will will bring you one. So if you don't have one of these, raise your hand and uh, Kyle's going to bring them around. Looks like Kyle and Kelly. you get got a brother-sister tandem this morning, passing you uh, the "Life in Chaos" books, um, and so it's it's a new series and it's Easter, and we're going to launch into that. But I want to spend just a second thinking about this idea of of life in chaos. It's uh, the image that's on the front of the book is also on the screen as well. But I want to like spend just a minute thinking about that, and so that that red ball of stuff is representative of. Of chaos, and, and we're living you and I are living in a chaotic world. We're living a life of chaos. And the series is going to center around David. Uh, you might know the biblical character King David. He was an incredible man. Um, uh, God said he was a man after my own heart, and he did many, many things for God and uh, wrote a, most of the psalms, and he was a, an important figure. but he lived a life in extreme chaos. And I, I think what the goal of the series is, is to connect with the chaos that David was, was living in and connecting that with the chaos that God wants to draw us out of. And so I think the point of the message this morning and the point of the series and the point of, of Easter is for us to realize the chaotic world that we live in and the call that God wants to move us from that chaos. And into peace and hope and joy. And uh, that's what I hope this series will do for us. So, Cooper, hit that next slide, the blank one. Uh, this is something I just realized this morning. I just connected with this as I was preparing. Uh, all of, like, this is uh, the slide that you're going to see with stuff behind it for the rest of the series. But it's, it's really interesting, that, that little bitty dot there in the corner. You remember our little red ball of craziness is chaos. Chaos. And that's the North Church logo In the middle of that Um, So we find ourselves We are a people Living in chaos Together Striving to move out of that chaos And and towards A peaceful, hopeful, wonderful God Who did something as incredible As sent his son to die for you To move you out of that chaos And into peace and hope And so uh, I don't want that little bitty image in the corner there to, to be missed. We're a group of people who God has called to at least be here today, and many of us to, to live life together, a life of chaos, a life amid chaos. But God wants to call us out of that. And uh, I'm super excited about the, the prospects of that. Uh, So if you open your your little booklet there to page three, the top of that page is listed introduction. That first big paragraph, the the second big paragraph that's there, that's what I want to read for us to kind of, when I say chaos and when we say chaos for the rest of the series, this is what we're talking about. It says, for the purposes of this series, we will define chaos as any circumstance where we recognize we have no control ...over what is happening around us... ...and where confusion and disorder reign. Here's where I hope we can all connect here... ...because I think we'll, we'll find our... ...if we're really honest with ourselves and with each other... ...we'll find ourselves in the rest of, of what's written here. This means real-life examples of chaos... ...can range from raising two toddlers... ...to dealing with a school shooting... ...and everything in between. Raising rebellious kids, a divorce, losing your job family crisis from new in-laws, moving across the country because of a job, the death of a loved one, racial tensions in our city, sexual abuse, church splits, persecution for our faith, political races, trying to engage someone who believes differently than we do are only a few of the situations that fit into this idea of chaos. Can we, can we like be honest enough with each other to, to say that we connect with, with probably a lot of those things, Right? This, this is defining our world, school shootings, racial tensions in our city, uh, church issues, family issues, moving across, losing jobs, all these things we connect with in a, in a real way, the death of a loved one, all these things we connect with in a real way. And so we don't want to be dishonest to say, it's Easter, let's put on our good clothes and pretend that we're not living in chaos, because we are living in chaos, all of us. But the hope of Easter and the hope of, of this series and the hope of Scripture and the hope of Christ is that he wants to move us out of that chaos and into hopeful, peaceful life with him. And I think that's where uh, God wants to, to draw us today. Um, so uh, let's, let's get into the, the passage. Um, we're in Acts chapter 2, and we're starting in verse 22 of Acts chapter 2. Uh, it'll be on the screen, but if you if you don't have a Bible, we'd like to give you one. Uh, we've got some in the back for you, uh, but it will be on the screen as well. So let's let's start in Acts chapter two, verse twenty-two. Um, we're going to slowly walk through these. Uh, this before we get there, this is Peter preaching a sermon at Pentecost, and Pentecost happens about nine or ten days after the resurrection. Okay, so Peter's preaching the sermon just like a week and a half after Jesus has resurrected from the grave. And in it, he says, men of Israel, and I want to stop just for a second right there. Peter is addressing the people in his congregation, men of Israel, very much like I would say, people of North Church, visitors and and members of North Church. If I would start a sermon that way, this is Peter starting a sermon, engaging the people of Israel. So the people of Israel are the ones that he's talking to. And this is interesting because the likelihood is that there are active and passive participants in the crucifixion of Christ listening to this sermon. Active and, and, and passive participants. So these people who, who actually were doing things to get Jesus from the garden where he was praying to the cross where he died. People were actively participating in that. There's also people here, most of the people that are in this audience... That Peter is preaching to here are, were passive participants, meaning they saw the, the issue that was happening and they did nothing about it. So they, they were passively participating in the crucifixion of Jesus. So this is the audience that Peter is talking to. Alright? Um, and, and also, when he says men of Israel, they would have thought of, of David as a hero to them. This is uh, David was a mighty military giant. Israel had spent a lot of its, its life uh, as a nation in strength and in bondage. And their most proud, strong time, their biggest triumph, were when David was their leader. David was the king. So he's this proud military leader. But, but there's more than that. David was also their worship leader. All right. When, when I say that, I mean most of the songs that these people sung were written by David. So this is a, this is like we don't have an an equality and uh, someone to equate David to as as these people saw Israel uh, saw David. We don't have anybody there. This is like the military strong proud giant, but also he was the number one worship leader. If there their deepest moments of intimacy with God were as they followed the writings of David in the Psalms. So this is their, their hero beyond what we can comprehend as, as Americans here in 2016. And he was also this just powerful leader, just a general leader. This is David. So let's, let's keep going. Men of Israel active and passive participants in the crucifixion, and people who found David to be their ultimate hero. Hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Think about some of the things that, that these people would have seen Jesus do. Healing people, uh, casting out demons, feeding 5,000 people, uh, the the authority with which he spoke. These people that Peter is speaking to knew Jesus in this intimate way that he was a miraculous man, that God did many mighty things through him. Verse 23, here's the important verse for us. Movement is happening. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Back up to the first half of verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. I need you to see that. Um, look Look at what it says. This is according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Jesus on the cross was planned by God. Let's, let's think for just a second. Let, let's, get, let's get real with each other. Remember we Remember, we thought about the chaos that we find ourselves in. Think about your chaos. What is the most pressing, chaotic thing that's happening in your world right now, this moment? Think about it. Connect, find something in your world that's chaotic. It's, is it the presidential race? Is it a job insecurity? Is it, is it crazy kids? Is it a, a broken relationship with, with family? Is it, what, what is chaotic about your world right now? Here's the thing. Whatever it is that you're thinking of, I'm sorry, but it's not the crucifixion. It's less. And we just read that the crucifixion was God's plan. Here's the message of Easter to you this morning. This is the movement of God taking you out of chaos and into peace and hope. Relax. God has this. Like, can, can, we, can we live there? If Jesus on the cross, and, and Friday night we gathered, uh, several churches gathered together to, to do a Good Friday service, and, and I got to preach about the actual death of Jesus. And I talked about Jesus literally gasping for breath, desperately trying to get oxygen into his lungs. That's how you die in, the, in crucifixion. Like, fighting to get oxygen into your lungs. This is is the chaos that Jesus finds himself in. And what we just read was that was God's plan from the beginning. Does that give you hope? It gives me an incredible amount of hope. We see chaos. We see sin. We see a messed up world, and we don't, even when we don't see it, it's being done. This is Something a, a friend of mine tweeted yesterday, talking about Easter Saturday. And when, what, what he said, and, and I kind of piggybacked on it and, and tweeted something else. That the, the idea is, there is, when we think we're only being overwhelmed by chaos, something we can't see is really happening, really going on. Imagine... Lovers of Jesus going to an inhabited tomb on Saturday. What do they see? Okay, not rhetorical. What Saturday before Jesus resurrects? A lover of Christ goes to the tomb. What? What's in front of them? A closed tomb. All right. What's inside of that closed tomb? Say that louder. Jesus' body. And what's Jesus' dead body? But what's, what's really happening in there? There's something beyond our comprehension, supernatural, that we don't know exactly. Scripture is, is pretty vague that maybe Jesus went into hell and did battle and there was a spiritual warfare happening. We're not really sure about what's happening on that Saturday. But something really good is happening. Imagine the, the pain that think, when, when I always think of this, I think of the two Marys, Mary Magdalene and, and Mary Jesus' mom on Saturday weeping in front of the, the tomb. And what, what's, pro, what chaos is processing in their mind. And then take that understanding to know that there's something going on in the middle of your chaos that you have you can't see. By the way, that's That's really, really good news. Because we can be overwhelmed. We are really good at seeing our chaos. I'm really good at it. Seeing my chaos. Not so good at at looking to what is coming. But it's beautiful news. And and Christ, God is, is moving us towards that. Verse 24, God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I had a friend uh, who has played a lot of basketball with, spent a lot of time with him, passed away about a week ago of cancer. I mentioned him several times in his battle with cancer. It's been about a five-year battle. His name was Jason, passed away about a week ago, Um, and I didn't, his His battle with cancer was one where he didn't share much of the details of what was happening, so I had no idea it was imminent. And now I'll never get to see him again. I'll never get to have a conversation with him. He loves Jesus, but he thinks way differently than I think. And he sees the world way differently than I see the world. And and our conversations were really good and really important and shaped me. And and I think shaped him. We had these great conversations. I'll never, ever have one of those again. Do you know why? Because death has a grip, it's strong. I think of my grandfather, he was a, he built houses, many houses, and he, he, he worked with his hands, he worked with wood, he was a, a a major in the Air Force in Korea in World War II, really important, big strapping guy, and one of the things that he loved to do was pick on me and my brother, and we would walk near him at like, at some point on Easter, in my past, I would walk near my grandpa and he would grab me. And he would grab my wrist right there. And I knew when he grabbed my wrist that someone was grabbing my wrist. And I was going to be there until he decided he didn't want me to be there anymore. (laughs) I had no control of what was going on because he had this powerful grip. And it would be like I would kind of just go limp for a couple of minutes thinking, all right, he's going to loosen up. When I feel him loosen up, I'm going to snap free. And I couldn't ever. Even like he's not even grasping me hard. As soon as I would start, it would go stronger. This is what I think of when I think of a strong grip. But what we just read there in verse 24 is Jesus' resurrection loosened the grip of death. Like, that's really good news. Because death has a firm, firm grip. Verse 25. Actually, let's go back up because I want to read that verse again. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it is not possible for him to be held by it. Like, I just want to laugh. Like, sometimes you laugh when things are funny, sometimes you laugh at things that are like, that's really cool. That's like, death is incapable of holding our Savior. That makes me happy. We should be happy. We should be happier. Verse 25. For David says concerning him... By the way, I want to stop for just a second. This is... Remember, Peter preaching to the people of Israel who would have seen David as a hero, quoting something that all these people would have known. This is... Um, uh, The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. We as Americans know that. FDR, right? Uh, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men were created equal. Declaration of Independence, we all know that, right? These people would have connected with these words just like we connect with those words. Because of who we are as Americans, we can, uh, I have a dream that my children will, uh, I'm I'm losing it, (laughs) 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 that that my children will be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. These are the things that our minds immediately connect with because of who we are and where we live and the culture where we find ourselves. These words that Peter's about to quote to these people would have been those same things. This is David is, is Martin Luther King, David is uh, David is Theodore Roosevelt, David is FDR, David is Lincoln, David is George Washington, David is Thomas Edison, David is all of these people in one person to these people. He is this kind of hero. So he quotes, David, I saw the Lord before me. This is David writing to these people. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. Remember how happy we were when we just read that it was impossible for death to hold Jesus? This is what David was writing, moving these people towards Worship. The point of David writing this was to move his people towards worship. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One, David is foretelling Christ coming, your Holy One will not see corruption. In other words, on Saturday, in that tomb where Jesus' dead body lays, corruption is not. Ha- we, we might be unaware of what was happening, but one thing we know for sure that was not happening was corruption. His body was not being corrupted. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Imagine these. This is these are words that just roll right off the tongue of you. For these people, God, is, Peter is connecting their hearts to the joy that they would have felt because of David's words, their heroes' words. But look at verse 29. This is more really cool stuff that makes you want to laugh. Brothers, I say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Their hero, their ultimate hero, the the likes of which our minds cannot connect with. This is... Every, this is the, the cultural hero, the military hero, the worship hero, everything. The greatest pastor the world has ever known. The greatest writer the world has ever known. The greatest military leader the world has ever known in one person. And we can go visit his grave today. We can't go visit Jesus' grave. You know why? Because it doesn't exist. It's empty. We can go see David's tomb. We can go see, I can go see Jason, my friend who died. I can go see his tomb because he's dead. Jesus is alive. That's really good news, right? Such incredible news. You want to go see? Martin Luther King's grave, you can. George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, JFK, Addison, Franklin, Elvis, Disney, Babe Ruth, Jackie Robinson, all of our heroes, they're all dead and have graves. Jesus is not dead. Your hero is not dead. Verse 30, talking about David being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, and Jesus was a descendant in the line of David. Verse 31, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Jesus has been raised. Remember, Peter is talking to a group that actively and passively participated in the crucifixion of Christ. Now he's saying you, who passively or actively participated in that crucifixion, you get to experience the the benefit of that crucifixion. Where's your chaos? In light of the cross. Do you see how God is trying to move you out of that and into hope? Uh... I happened upon a sermon by Jonathan Edwards this week and this quote comes from that sermon. Our bad things because of the resurrection of Jesus, our bad things will turn out for good, our good things cannot can never be taken from us, and the best things are yet to come. This may be the best thing you hear today. Our bad things will turn out for good. Just like Jesus here as he dies, bad things turn out for good. Chaos. Forget about it. Because of the resurrection, bad things wind up good. Please know as we face bad things in this life, the death of Jesus was a heartbreakingly bad thing. Connect again with the Mary's weeping at the tomb of Christ on Saturday. It's heartbreakingly bad. The son of God killed by lawless men, abandoned by those that he gave his life to, and just completely abandoned by these people. Know that as you encounter problems, know that as you encounter problem people, that bad things will be turned to good. God's got a plan in it. And when you start to feel sorry for yourself, look at the cross. God's plan for you is to give you good, even when you can't see it. The second thing, our good things can never be taken from us. Here's a list of things that can never be taken from you. Your salvation, your redemption, forgiveness, grace, hope, peace, love, joy, communion with God. All of these things are secure possessions that are offered to you freely and completely without possibility of being taken from you. Because of the resurrection, these are all yours, period. Our good things can never be taken from us. And the last thing, the best thing, the best things are yet to come. The best things in life the best things that your soul will ever encounter are yet to come. That's that's pretty hopeful, right? And I've like I've seen the birth of my children. I've seen them like so many times. Like Hannah Grace walks up this morning, and she's got beautiful curly hair, and she's walking up. Now she's embarrassed. I'm sorry. And I and it's it's a beautiful thing to watch her. Walk from the car to the front door, and I'm standing at the front door waiting and, and watching her just be tall and pretty and like that's beautiful. But it's nothing. Like I, I've I've have seen the Grand Canyon. I've been on a on a cruise ship where I can see nothing but ocean for as far as I can see in 360 degrees. I've seen the beauty of God. I've seen Niagara Falls. I've seen such incredible things. I've experienced wonderful love with my wife. I've experienced wonderful love with most of you. But the best is yet to come. All of those things are just a shadow, a glimpse of the reality that we will possess one day in heaven. It's glorious, right? Scripture says that no eye has seen, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. No eye has seen what God has prepared for you. The best things are yet to come because of the resurrection. This is your savior. This is your Jesus. This is your hope. This is the call to move from focusing on the chaos that you find your your life in and moving away from that into hope and peace and love and joy that you hold as a possession. This is the truth of the resurrection. Let's uh, let's pray and get a chance to worship our God. Thank you, God, for the truth of Easter. Thank you, God, for the finality of Easter. Thank you, God, for the chaos that we find ourselves in. And thank you for your plan and design in that chaos. Thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. God, I thank you for the brokenness and the chaos that I know in these people that sit in these chairs, God. And I pray now that you would open our eyes to the glory and wonder of all that your resurrection means, that bad things turn out for good, that good things can't be taken from us, and the best things are yet to come. Thank you for that truth. I pray that it would force its way deep into our souls and change the way that we live and respond and react in this world thank you for Jesus. Oh, how I thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen.
1: So we're going to take some time to respond to the Lord. And if you've been around here at all, you know how this goes. But I really want to, really want to say this. As we think about chaos, I just, want to, I just want to get very personal and point at each one of you, so to speak, and say, where in your life do you find yourself in chaos? That maybe this morning in the midst of the celebration and the nice dress and the, the party of Easter, underneath the surface there's a war. And it's crazy. It's chaotic. And there's shame. And there's sin. And the second you walk out that door, all hell breaks loose. And you lose the smile I just want to look at you and say, when will you stop trying to fix your own chaos? So you can come to church on Easter. You can come to church every Sunday. You can sing, celebrate. Yeah, you can go on living your life. I can go on living my life trying to master and man the chaos of everything going on in my world and never truly recognize that there's a God who conquered the grave so that he could conquer the chaos in my life, not me. That's the celebration. And at times it's a painful celebration, right? But it's hopeful. And so we're going we're gonna to stand and we're going to sing and we're going to celebrate that there's a God who takes our chaos and brings hope out of it. But in the midst of that, here's my challenge. Stop trying to do it yourself. Whether you don't know who Jesus is at all or whether you've walked with Jesus all of your life, this morning is about a celebration of a broken body and shed blood. And so if you're a Christian in the room, we invite you whenever you're ready to come forward and there's bread up here symbolic of the the broken body was torn to shreds for you in the juice. We dip it in the juice, symbolic of the shed blood, and we celebrate that there's a God who makes life in the midst of chaos for you every single moment of every single day. And let me just say this. If you don't know that hope and you don't know that life, gosh, we pray you'd find it today. Gosh, the Bible says that you confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're, we're going to sing, we're going to proclaim, and we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper and surrender our hearts to the Lord. And if you want prayer, you want just, man, what, how do I navigate the chaos in my life? And you're to the point where you're like, I just need some help. Man, there'll be some people in the back that would just love to pray with you. So let's respond to the Lord. Let's worship Him for the God that He is.